All right, we'll get started. You've got a new handout. It has the title, Hymns at the Top. Uh, we're taking a one Sunday break from our uh, regular progression, uh, simply because the I was overzealous. I'd hoped that I would uh, uh, be done with some of the stuff um, as we move forward. I knew that I would be starting some information with the common service beginning with Advent 1, but the choir is already starting to, they got to do this ahead of time, and so they were starting today to go over some of the hymnody, and I thought this would be as good a time as any to just take a short break and, uh, and take a look at that. So... On your sheet. Hymns. Hmm. Scripturally. Ephesians 5. We have St. Paul. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks for always, for all things, to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, submitting to one another in the fear of God. He mentions this same kind of progression of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs in Colossians 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Not only do we have the direction that we ought to be doing this thing, but we also have the example. We have Jesus who... Uh, after the Lord's Supper, they sang a hymn as they went out to the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, we have Paul and Silas who are locked up in prison, and there they are uh, singing hymns in Acts chapter 16. And so we see that this is a part, uh, hymnody in particular, uh, is a part of our uh, Christian life. In fact, to pull out just a couple more things, um, you know, it contrasts the uh, drunkenness and and what it uh, not being sober and, and uh, causing uh, dissipation. This, in fact, talks about how through this singing, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, uh, that instead of being filled with a different spirit, you are to be filled with the Spirit, so there must be in this hymnity a great measure of the Word of God, for you only have the Spirit being given, filling, teaching, uh, so this hymnity is, is, is not just singing anything, but uh, uh, the Word. Going on, it talks about how this singing is a, is a giving of thanks. It's always a response. Um, this is not... Oh, it works righteousness. It's not something we do to get something. It's something that we do uh, in uh, giving thanks to God for all his blessings. When you come down to Colossians uh, 3, it talks.
talks about how, what is the content of these things? Well, it's going to be wisdom. Um, be the wisdom of the Word of God, the extension of gospel Christ. Uh, it's going to talk about how when we do this, there is uh, even a teaching and admonishing from one believer to another. We, we do this to each other as we sing these things, uh, giving thanks. So, there appears to be a kind of a, 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 a very richness uh, that, comes, that comes from this. I'm a little bit, uh, uh, we're on a one Sunday, uh, one Sunday we're going to take a look at this. I'm going to introduce some things, but I'm going to say that when we get to music, and probably hymnody as well, um, I'm sure that there are strong feelings, strong emotions, there are hymns that you like and hymns that you don't like. There is, um, I expect um, to, to, uh, to be taken off track. Um, I've got about 12 minutes of stuff I'm going to give you. You can take me off track today. I, I'm, I'm okay with that, you know. Um, I'm not going to let one person, like, take over the class. No, I'm not a pastor. Nothing. <laughs> but, but we got a lot to look at. Um, and, you know, this, this is simply going to start it. All right, so that's a general just introduction as it goes to hymnody itself. Um, comments, questions? Hymn thumpers. What, Tony? Hymn thumpers. Him thumpers. Yep, I ran into that when we were. I was on a musical committee up there in Kiwani, and it was our job to pick the hymns. Aha! Uh-huh. If we picked one the congregation didn't like, you could hear it. <laughs> As then they would jump them into the hoop, hoop, hoop. <laughs> Him thumpers. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, Why do I want to take a look at this? Um, Well, let me introduce it this way. In our Apology of the Augsburg Confession, as they begin to talk about uh, the divine service with Holy Communion, what's called the Mass. The Lutherans say, to begin with, we must repeat the preparatory statement. So, the Augsburg Confession said almost the exact same thing. Now that we're into the Apology, they said, we'll say it again. We do not abolish the Mass, but we religiously keep and defend it. So, we've not gotten rid of the Divine Service with Lord's Supper. In fact, even with all of the bells and whistles that are with it. In our churches is celebrated every Sunday and on other festivals. <coughs> Mass is celebrated. When the sacrament is offered to those who wish for it after they have been examined and absolved. So, you know, we celebrate every Sunday and festival day. And it goes on to say we keep traditional liturgical forms just such as the order of the lessons, prayers, vestments, etc., um, so, if, if you think that we're just bare bones, nope. 
Uh, we've, we've kept most of the ceremonies insofar as they are, are, were pure and, and, and could teach, uh, could teach the people. Um, so today, as we kind of push forward with this, Go to page two of your of your sheet. There is an introductory uh, page. It's uh, entitled Augustana Service Book and Hymnal, kind of a proposed uh, name for a hymnal. It's got some uh, titles for abbreviations so that you can find those. And then it begins and says the calendar with office hymns. And what does it do? Well, it has a list of hymns. The title hymns are over here. But that's not the way it's organized. It's not organized alphabetically uh, according to hymns. Instead, uh, it numbers them, but it has them as they come up in the liturgical year. So the first Sunday of the church here is Advent 1, Advent 2, Advent 3, Advent 4. You've got Christmas Day, first Sunday after Christmas, the circumcision of our Lord, second Sunday after Christmas, the Epiphany, kind of going on down, Transfiguration. You've got the Gesema season. I only gave you the very first page. It goes on and, and, and does the other. So it's organized by this church year and the Sundays that come up as we observe them, and it has where they're from, and that's why you needed to figure out what these abbreviations for, but then the hymns are listed in order. This is what is, uh, it says office hymns. Uh, we normally refer to this as the hymn of the day, the hymn of the day. Um, it comes right before the sermon. It comes after the readings, nice and creed. Um, some have some have called it the sermon hymn. And why they call it the sermon hymn? The sermon to the death. Nope. No. The theme of the day. Nope. That's the sermon. Because that's when the pastor writes the sermon. The sermon hymn, of course. Would you define office hymn? Yeah, I'm getting ready to. Very good. Um, so, over time, here's what we got. Um, the first uh, hymn that I'm going to kind of show you just a little bit, um, the first hymn that's listed, Savior of the Heathen Come, uh, in our hymnal it's called Savior of the Nations Come, um, it is a translation of a Latin hymn. Luther translated into German. We then translated it into English. Um, it comes from the Latin. It was written by a man named Ambrose, St. Ambrose. Um, as the liturgical ceremonies and forms progressed, uh, there were Lord's, there was, there was the divine service, the, the Lord's Supper service. And then there were prayer services, okay? Um, the prayer services itself were pretty well modeled after the synagogue kind of service, uh, morning and evening, we call them matins and vespers, that, that kind of thing. Um, it was mainly what would be described as a uh, 
prayer service. Um, but having said it was a prayer service, you know, it's a praise and prayer, but that has been taken over by uh, contemporary worship kind of stuff. What we mean is, you prayed the Psalms, and you had prayers. There may have been a sermon, whatever, but, and, and so, you know, when, when, you, when you just have one psalm with Matt, you kind of go, well, there's supposed to be lots of, you know, may, maybe up, up to nine psalms. Um, you know, I, I would think one is not, you know, yeah, okay, maybe we're not up to nine psalms. But, but one? I mean, I think maybe we could do two, at least three, um, something like that. But there were psalms. So that's the way it was set up. At about the time of Ambrose, hymnody was introduced. He wrote hymns. Um, it was done to combat heresy. <laughs> that was its main purpose. Um, the, uh, they were used to singing the psalms, and they did that, no doubt. But this was a kind of song, spiritual song, that was brought into the church service. It wasn't brought into the divine service, though, with the mess. It was brought into the prayer service. And so there were psalms, a hymn, and then the rest of the prayers kind of thing. Um, it, it took off. The, the people were, were able to, um, uh, to sing it. Many of the early ones were Latin. As it went on, it began to be not so much just uh, uh, against heretics, but it began to be used to illustrate the theme of the, of the service. So there was a regular series of readings, and these readings then, if we were going to be singing about um, the resurrection, you would have a hymn that week for the resurrection, and it would be the resurrection hymn. As things went on, these office hymns, meaning to the offices of matins and vespers, had a hymn associated with them. And so it was the hymn of the week. It was the one that you sang. You sang it every day that week. Um, there were some services that would have a morning hymn or an evening hymn, but, but these that did that. Um, it was used for quite some... There was some argument about whether, whether we ought to... If we could write our own stuff as opposed to singing the Psalms, which was God's writing, his own stuff. Um, the church finally went down to say yes. Um, and, and I showed you the scripture passages that, that you know, speak of these things. It probably hit its high point in the 9th, 10th to 12th century, something like that. Um, when the Reformation came, and everything was in Latin, and the offices were in Latin, and the people, we had these wonderful hymns, but they were all in Latin. And primarily, only the clergy uh, and the monks knew these. Luther, who reformed the Mass, not only did he say, we're going to take these into our worship as well. We're not throwing them out. Um, the Latin's fine, but the people need to know what these say. They're beautiful. And so he translated many of them into German. Now, the other church reformers, Calvin, Zwingli, absolutely not. They would have nothing to do. You throw out all of the traditions, all of the windows. If you've got stained glass, you probably ought to break it. You know, we're going to get back to white walls, and we'll only sing the Psalms. Now, that, that sounds crazy, because now everybody, well, you know, all the Protestants sing hymns. But not back then. 
No, we we were the ones. We grabbed the hymn out of the matins and vespers and we put it in the divine service. It was the Reformation that did that. Um, You will see the hymn of the day in Roman churches as well. Um, but, But it was the Lutherans. Um, that's one of our kind of contributions. So, um, Pastor Huron was right earlier. Why him? What about the sermon hymn? Well, this hymn is supposed to teach the theme of the day. And the theme of the day comes from the readings and primarily the gospel reading. And if the pastor's doing his job, he's going to give you the theme. So that sermon theme, hymn, ought to be the theme of his sermon. It ought to go together in some way. So, I mean, that's absolutely right. So, um, we're a liturgical church. If we're going to take a look at him, the DNI, uh, you know, as our choir is going through it, the very first thing we're going to look at, now, you, you got to, there, there's other time. you know, you're going to use a hymn for an anniversary. Um, and so, I've got a hymn that we're pulling out, we're going to use for that. If there's a baptism, I'll pull out a baptismal hymn. If there is um, a... Uh, if the Turks invade us, we're going to, you know, take a look at it. Okay, so we, we, of course we'll do that. But you got to start somewhere. We're going to start liturgically with these hymns. They are going to present the theme, the hymn of the day. You've got hymnals in front of you. Um, um, I'll, I'll explain, and if you can get to them, uh, great. You ought to do it. Um, okay. If you get it, uh, if you have a blue hymnal in front of you, uh, if you go to page eight, you will see that it has the church here uh, lined out, very similar to what we have here with Advent Christmas. It is a one-year series uh, of a church year. So, I mean, I, I, that sounds, you know, you kind of go, well, yeah. What, what are you really saying? Well, let me give you an example. If we had a I don't know. Let's let's say we had a uh, a four-year series. Well, if we had a four-year series, you would expect then we might deal with Jesus' early birth the first year. We might deal with his first year of ministry the second year. We might deal with his suffering and death the third year. And then we might deal with the resurrection and his ascension the fourth year. You, you might do it. We go through every year, right? We've got Advent and Chris' birth and his resurrection and his ascension, and we do it again. We do it every year. Okay, great. Um, this is the kind of the church year that we have. Turn the page to page 10. With Lutheran worship, you can see that there are what we call propers to the day. Uh, they change which, with every Sunday uh, that is there. So you can see an introit uh, for the first Sunday in Advent. You can see a collect. Go over to the next page. It lists readings under it. You can see a gradual and a verse. But look at those readings. This is the first Lutheran hymnal to publish, and they list here a one-year series of readings and a three-year series of readings. So you see the one-year series is, is there. It has Psalm 25, 1-7, Isaiah 62, 10-12, Romans 13, 10-14, and Luke 19, 29-38. That's the one-year series. Then it has three years, and it has A, B, C, so that 
you could choose, you would have different readings for three years, and then after the third year, on the fourth year, you would come back to A, and you'd come back to it again. Uh, I say this is the first time that uh, it's, it's been done. Why did the Lutherans begin to publish and to encourage and use a three-year series of readings? Because prior to this, when it says we followed the series of readings, the church has used a one-year series of readings for a thousand years or so. Um... And if you go, and I'm going to show you, we're going to go and take a look at the, the red hymnal, the Lutheran hymnal. It doesn't have a three-year, and it's only got a one-year. So why? Anyone know? Give it a shot. Did they think we were bored? <laughs> um, actually, that is one of the justifications for having it. It's not the reason why. It's, it's not the reason why, but some, you know, well, you know, we, oh, we've had that, you know, every year. Um, and, and so they also said, you know what, if, if one year of readings is good, three years is better. Right? So not five years. Well, well, why don't we have, yeah. In fact, why don't we just start with Genesis and, you know, it takes us ten. Well, you know, we get to Revelation, we'll start over, we'll start doing it. So, yeah, so there were there are things that were said concerning it. Um, Leanne? Could it have been, they thought this was the only exposure people were getting to Scripture, that they weren't reading it on their own? I, I, and so, The only thing is, is that if you go through it three years... By the end of the third year, you're going to forget what you've <laughs> <laughs> That is very true. Um, you know, again, that was one of the justifications. It's kind of the more is better. The, you know, we're going to expose people and more kind of stuff. But I think also then you have to kind of go, well, you know, it's, it's not that God's word says you have. It, remember we talked adiaphora? This is one of those things. The scriptures don't say you have to do it one way or another. But, but then there are weaknesses to this. Pretty well, where you would say, you know, if I do this every year, it ingrains it in my mind. I, I get to learn it. If I do it every three years, you know, and you show up on year two, it's not till the third year that you find out about Jesus' virgin birth because you missed it. You know, or you you don't really remember how that goes. And in catechesis, we go through the gospel lesson for the coming Sunday and what you're going to be teaching us. Every year, we learn something more that we didn't get the first time, and we're learning the same, the same scripture, but we're learning something more. That's why the catechesis, the, that's so important. Exactly, because it's that's the thing when it prepares us. If I can just uh, um, tell a little story of my wife, um, I, I had to convince, you know, I was going to, wanted to do this catechesis on Wednesday night. Um, you know, in this area, the only people that, that go to church on Wednesdays are Baptists. And so when I'm saying, hey, we're all going to go to church on Wednesday nights, this is what happens. It's not just the people that are getting confirmed. It's for the entire congregation. Everyone's to do this. Um, Before I took it to the elders to explain, here's how I'm doing it and how Luther did and whatever, what I always do is, if I can't convince my wife, I figure I can't convince anyone. We'll stop there. So I I try to convince her. So I, I explained to her, you know, kind of went through the whole thing. 
Um, it was finally at the end where uh, um, I explained, I taught about it, and, and she looked at me and she goes, so you're telling me that we're going to be going to church every Wednesday night for the rest of our lives? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty well, that's exactly what I'm saying. Um, and when she goes, okay, all right, you know, I, I've done it. Later on, one of those particular readings, it happens to be the one with the sheep and the goats, okay? It was about the fourth year or something like that. We had gone through, the, you know, every year you know, where you have the catechism, you explain it, you talk about it, you go through it again. It's always the one wherever, you know, it says, if you've done it the least, then you've done it to me, and everybody always worries about that. And when, I, I remember her, her coming home and going, after three or four years of going over this text, she goes, I think I finally get it. <laughs> and I thought, you know, that's often the way it is. You know, you, it, it takes her, you have to get, now I got it. But it takes that kind of repetition. Uh, well, all right. Um, okay. The, the reply. If um, you get it, then you look forward to it. It's no longer, I'm bored with this. Oh, no. Next Sunday is the reading of the sheep and the goats. I love that one. Um, <laughs> but it, it's ironic, but I'm pretty sure it was Vatican, too. We followed the Catholics. The reason there is a three-year series is because Vatican II, the Roman Council, decided they were all going to go to a three-year. Somebody in Missouri was drinking the Kool-Aid. Okay? And all of a sudden, in fact, we weren't the only ones. This is a time in which Protestantism were going, we need to be ecumenical, we need to all be doing the same thing. And so, as soon as the Roman Church said, we're doing a three-year series, everybody went, hey, I think we're doing a three-year, too. And so, that's what they did. That's where this came from. I'm not going to spend a whole much more time with it. I will, uh, uh, that connection. But I will let you know, as we move forward, and we talk about the common service, because I'm going to go back, you know, after I do a little bit more with the Lutheran bodies in America, and we talk about the service that we have, you're going to find that... There are many things that we did for reasons that weren't quite proper. And there were things behind the action. Yes, they told us it was because we needed more of the Word of God, but the reality was this came from somewhere else. I was going to say, I personally, having been Lutheran my entire life, with the one-year series for most of that, still can't necessarily remember what the gospel is going to be for the next Sunday. How could I possibly remember three-year series? But one of the cool things about the office hymns is that it helps you remember, because that music is a... It helps you remember what the text is for the next Sunday. It's a reinforcement that is very strong. Correct. Correct. Um... Advent 1, Matthew 21, Jesus coming into Jerusalem. Advent 2, Luke 21, uh, Jesus' second coming. Advent 3, John the Baptist, I'm going to say Matthew 10. Advent... I got some of it. I got some of it. I, I can do pretty well with with those. Okay, so you've got a one-year, uh, and you got this three-year series. Okay. So you kind of went, well, okay, at least they offered us the one-year series as well, kind of saying, if you want to continue, you can do that, or if you want to go off on the three-year, you can do that. If you take a look at your red uh, hymnal, the Lutheran hymnal, I know mine has to be black, but okay. Um, there are a series. There are a series of 
if you take a look at page 54, you will see that they also list the propers in this hymnal. They list the introit, the collect, uh, there it says the epistle, and they list the gradual. The epistle that's listed for the first Sunday in Advent. Can you tell me what that is? Romans 13, 11 to 14. Then you've got the gradual. It goes on down. It says the gospel. What is that? Matthew 21, 1 through 9. Do you still have your blue hymnal open? Yes. Take a look at the one-year series. What's the gospel reading? 10 to 14. That's pretty close. Romans 13. What about the gospel? It's Luke 19. Blasted the one-year series that they put in here is not really the one-year series at all. It's not the historic one-year series. You think you're going to continue? No, you can't even do it. Um, hmm. So, there's been some changes, and there's been some things that, that come up with this. Um, the theme changes if you change the readings. Um, I thought I could do it better. The short answer is they could. Yes. I thought I could do it better. Um, I looked back. Now, that being said, um, I've got, and just to, just to give you an idea, you know, I've, I've got Luther's works, and I've got his, there, there are four or five volumes that go through um, what we call church apostles, that is, books that have the sermons for every Sunday in the church year. Wow. All right. You change those readings? That sermon then. Uh, we stopped. Gerhard published sermons. For that. You take that away? We don't got that. I've got books like Strodok, who has a one-volume thing that goes through the church year and presents to you the themes and how everything go together. I've got the Sermon on the Propers by Lindell. It's a four-volume set that goes through the th that. I have got actually a, a, a pre-Vatican II Roman Catholic one that is a 25 volumes that goes through all of the Sundays of the church year as well as other things, which can be helpful at times. Um, yeah, that, but all of a sudden you kind of go, well, why did you do this? I, you know, I, I, I think we thought we could do it better or we just could. What's, what's the big deal? There are some that have studied it and there are some that have said, based upon the readings that you chose and the readings that you got rid of, we see some themes that you cut out. You didn't really want to deal with those. Um, I'll get to those later, so I, I don't want to make it too nefarious. But, but there, there's something to it. Is it the spirit of contemporary worship that's kind of getting in here? Before this hymnal, there was only one service. This one now has Divine Service 1, Divine Service 2, Divine Service 3. Um, with uh, Missouri's newer hymnal, there is Divine Service 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Um, if you want to go to the ELC hymnal, you've got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10? You remember? It's something like that. Um, yeah, it's interesting they correspond, don't they? Um, hmm. All right, we're on hymnody, though. What about this hymnody? Um, yeah, so 
you know, we're going to keep the traditional liturgical forms. You don't have to, but we, we thought it was a good idea, um, and, and I think that it is. It allows us to deal with what I found was is every doctrine that we need to know, all of the teachings are all found in that one year, and we make sure you get to them every year. Um, so we're going to do that. We'll go by the hymns of the day. The choir is going to start learning these hymns. Um, you can see I produced for you one of those hymns uh, here. It happens to be the hymn for the first Sunday in Advent. Um, there are many different issues going into this. Uh, they're going back to some older hymnals in order that they might pull out the tune and the text. Some of it has to do just plainly with copyright. Um, you can't simply take someone else's work. But everybody has borrowed. These hymns are old. Most of these go back. Um, I'm sorry, I just remembered. Um, we actually follow the historic one-year series. That's why I print the readings and the propers and everything in the bulletin, so that we, we, we're not following the three-year, we're not following a changed one-year, we're actually following the one year that Luther followed, that the church has followed for a thousand years. So did you agree with what you read on that one uh, person or book, whatever series, um, that said they were trying to weed out some uh, doctrine or things they didn't want to address in changing the one year series? Isn't that what you said or did I misunderstand that? I think you misunderstood. Okay, sorry. Um, <laughs> I, do that. Um, I misunderstood it too, then. Okay, so, alright, well, let me explain that one more time. When they changed the readings from the historic to something else, mm -hmm. there, some have looked at the changes from yes. the historic and said, we think you're trying to avoid certain doctrines and topics by your choice. Is that... Yeah. Mary, is that yeah. clear? Yeah. Right. I'm going back to the historic one year. I'm not using the change. We're curious about what they wanted to pull away from. Yeah, we'll get to we? that. But not today. Okay. <laughs> I guess my question is, that's why you went back to the historic. You know, actually, I went back because I think it's a fourth commandment issue. I think it's a matter of following what your forefathers have done before. At the time that I did it, um, I didn't understand all of the great blessings and everything that had to do with it. I did it simply because sometimes you do things that your parents teach you to do, and later you realize they were actually pretty smart. It's not because I'm, I was so smart. I really wasn't. I was just doing what I was given to do, and it said, follow the way. And I said, yeah, you're right. That's great. I don't know why they changed it. Later I realized. Brian? Um, when we take a look at Bishop Heiser's book, as well as the progression of the common service, um, I think he makes a valid point to say this wasn't the people asking for these changes. These were forced upon them by those who were in positions of power who were trying to do something besides be Lutheran. Missouri? In Missouri, as well as in other senates. Um, there was a point, I mean, just to you know, give you the whole thing, uh, um, there was a point at which 
even those who were in various synods, we pretty well all followed the common service of page 15. 95% of the Lutherans, you walked into church and everybody followed the same service. And then after that, it fractured into a million pieces. And you go, huh, how, how did this happen that we were so united and, and then we weren't? It also uh, follows the culture of the day, though, because even education-wise, they were getting away from the traditional way of teaching, and now you've got to keep kids entertained, and so we've got to give them a variety pack, and um, their the short attention span, you know, of, of kids, we've got to keep them excited, and it fits with all of that. So whether it's Rome or whether it's our culture, yeah, sometimes that leads. So I get Violet, and then I'm going to come back up to Pastor Violet. All, all donut pastors follow the one, the original one that's a thousand years old. They arrive something. Yes, yes, they do. Um, so and yet, and yet, at this point, you know, uh, there's three different hymnals being used, you know, within Aldona, because when we all came in, you know, until we can all get on the same page. You know, you use what you've been given and try to do it as best you can. You know, so so yes. Also, I don't I don't think we can necessarily just blame the Lutherans for this because human nature always demands change, but that's just the way we are. The, the confessions call it concupiscence. The, the first thing. Adam and Eve, what did they demand? Change. That's true. I need to eat the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's when everything was perfect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Tony, you're next. Under our family daily prayers, I've been quoting Luther from Ecclesiastes. You will note where he says, you know, many people worked long to build something up. They labored to build. And the next generation works to tear it down. Because <laughs> you know, if you think that you know, by all you're, you're going to, yeah, that's what we do, Tony. Yeah, there unintended consequences. Is one of the things that really can throw up men's thoughts. I was a Catholic with a Latin mass. I happened to be able to learn what that meant because I had a hymnal that had the Latin on the left and the English on the right. When I was in the service in Germany, I could go into a German church and to, they would be a, a, in the Latin Mass. France, Belgium, Spain, they had different accents, but the only thing I couldn't understand was the sermon. <laughs> but I could still understand what was going on. Then they come what was the ecumenical one or whatever, they got rid of the Latin Mass, all of a sudden, you couldn't understand nothing. Right. Um, I've, I've heard Lutherans who have told me, you know, go over to Germany, um, and even though it's in German, they look and kind of go, yeah, the Lutherans used to follow the exact same order. It was translated, but I knew what was going on when they were, when they were doing it. Um, and I could pick up some of the words, and I could, you know, see that. Uh, um, does someone else have a... Yes. Alita? I don't know. I don't know yet. 
I'm going to say I'm at the beginning of looking at some of those things. Uh, so, take a look at the hymn. Um, obviously, it's going to go together with the propers of the day, which has to do with an epistle and a gospel reading. Uh, and, and even the collet collects all the theme and puts it together. So you say, what's going on with this uh, sermon? Well, you ought to know the theme. One of the things I've said with catechesis is, if you come to Wednesday catechesis and you hear me teach about the uh, gospel reading for the upcoming Sunday, when you sit down and open up the first hymn, you will go, I know exactly why Pastor picked this. Because I already know what the Sunday's about. I know what the theme is. Um, if you don't, it may take you a while, as it will teach you one thing, then you another in, then you get that, and then the sermon ought to kind of pull it all together. But yeah, you can get a jump on this. Um, so, we're going to try to uh, see that. The hymn is supposed to uh, teach that as well. It is supposed to teach the, the theme of the day uh, by means of the, uh, that. The choir is going to be going through these. Uh, most of these, it might not be the exact same translation, and it might not be the exact same wording. Uh, I'll put it in the bulletin. But I'm going to say 95% of these you should already know, because I, that's what I'm doing, too. I'm pull, I mean, we've been pulling these out for a long time, making sure that we're picking out you know, some of the oldest, best hymns that we have. The choir will be singing these. They may simply sing it with the congregation. Um, they may, if it's a pretty familiar hymn, they may do a four-part harmony of stanza two, or they may, you know. Um, but uh, it is something in which I want uh, the choir, as well as you, and if you just want to hang out with the choir or whatever, I want to start looking at this and saying, okay, let me, uh, uh, let me see about this hymn. What are some things with it? I did put on the front page that uh, uh, hymns have a different... Uh, they're not all the same. Um, when you ask, you know, what is a hymn, it's kind of hard to explain. Um, you can talk about the structure of the hymn. It's usually got several stanzas. It's usually got a simple rhyming scheme, maybe A-B-A-B, maybe A-A-B-B. Um, it will, uh, and, and often the music you know, goes with it in that way. Some hymns have stanzas and then they have a refrain or a kind of a choral choir piece that, that goes with it. And so you come back to that at, at the very end. Um, here is the tenfold sure command. At the end of everyone is, Lord have mercy. So okay, come back to that. Some of our hymnody has direct address to God. It is simply a prayer. Uh, in which we are talking to him. Often those things which we uh, speak to him are things like repentance and such, what we have learned. Uh, it may be that in our speaking back to him, it is one of praise and thanksgiving, whether it's directly to him or sometimes it's praise and thanksgiving in which we're not actually talking to God. I'm, I'm singing to you. I'm saying, you know, to you, here's what the Lord has done. Not saying... You know, when I say, here's what the Lord has done, I'm actually, I, if I was talking to him, I would say, Lord, this is what you did. But I, maybe I'm giving a praise on Thanksgiving. Some of our hymnody is didactic. It teaches. It's designed to tell us about the resurrection. It's designed to teach us about 
the Ten Commandments. Whatever. And so it teaches a lesson. Uh, some of our hymnody goes with a special occasion of sorts. Um, that is, there might be an anniversary. There may be a funeral. Um, it may be a plague that has come. There is occasions that will bring up uh, someone to write a hymn, and often there is application you know, for us later. Uh, liturgical purpose is probably the most primary. That's why they're looking at the hymn of the day or office hymn. It might go with the divine service. might go with the prayer office. It may simply be a church here. Uh, some of our hymns are thematic. Um, that is, they deal with a, a doctrine. Um, and so they're teaching about prayer. So you look at our hymnal, you're going to have uh, organization of Advent hymns, Christmas hymns, da 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 And then later you might have, this hymn is for marriage, confirmation, in times of trial. It may be thematic. Um, some of our hymns have almost a direct quotation, if you will. It retells the story in more of a poetic or, or, or a hymn verse. So as we look at those categories, um, we, we began to go, okay, so what's, what's going on? I, I don't have time today or, or a lot, but um, to just give you an idea, during rationalism, that, that uh, we've talked about before, um, hymns began to be less about the doctrines and the teachings and more about creation. And so it was very flowerly language about the flowers of the field and the starry bright stars at night and the sun which warms my heart and 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 you kind of got done, you kind of went, you know, well, it started off saying, thank God, but when I got done with this, I'd go, well, it was just a pretty picture. Um, yeah, I kind of wanted more out of a hymn. Um, or at the time of pietism, the hymnody began to be not so much teaching us about God, but me telling you about what's going on inside my heart. And... The hymns that were saying, I, I, I love God and I'm doing this and I'm doing, and it, and it, it was very much a, a, a deeply inward uh, uh, journey telling God those things. Um, as we take a look at these hymns, uh, the choir, as well as, as you, we want to give some feedback uh, concerning these hymns, uh, concerning, well, maybe the tune. Um, is the hymn written uh, so that it's easy to hang, sing? Is the hymn too high, you know, or, or I can't sing it? Is it too low? Um, obviously, there's a range, and sometimes you push, you know. Um, if we had, you know, the Mark Melvin hymnal, um, it would all be in bass clef. And... And do it all be done, you know. Uh, uh, Mark's voice breaks, you know, at... Hey, Um, you know, there are some things like that. Some hymns can be written to different to tunes, can be sung to different tunes. So you know, all right, let's look at this. Um, As we go through this, um, it would not be helpful to tell me, yeah, I don't like it. (laughs) Okay, but that doesn't help. 
I mean, I, I need to know. Um, so, let's take a look at some of it. Let's take a look at um, what scripture passages are being cited in here. Oh, let's see, what is it teaching us? Can I find parts of the, uh, of the six chief parts of the catechism? Can I find uh, something that deals with law and gospel? Can I find, and how well does it do it? Um, you know, sometimes uh, things are, are poetic and they help, even though you have to look up the word. Um, there's a particular hymn that talks about how something is ineffably sublime. I had to look up that word. Um, I didn't know what it was. I mean, Sam, what am I singing? Um, you know what? It, it's so complex that you got to look it up. That's what the mysteries of God are. It, it worked. It was perfect. Um, I wouldn't change that at all. You know, you don't say, well, every word has to be two syllables or less so we can all... No, it doesn't. And sometimes it, 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 it has by analogy things that we need to kind of learn. So anyway, we're going to be looking at some of those. I'm going to, not only as the choir, I'm going to use whatever opportunities I have to pull that out during the next year as we walk through these uh, to try to... Uh, illustrate those points. Um, I did want to give you just a uh, quick uh, thing. Um, this was on a Strodox book where he's going to go through the second Sunday in Advent. Um, he gives us the intro. He talks about um, uh, he lists the collect, the readings, and then he starts to do. I was going to give you Advent 1, but when you're starting off a book and you start with Advent 1, they have a whole bunch of preparatory stuff. And so I, I wanted to kind of get right to the chase. Here's the thing. Advent 1 is about the birth of Jesus. Not, not Christmas, but about the Savior coming. The coming of the Savior in flesh and blood. So don't think Christmas. Think all of it. So when it has Matthew 21, Matthew 21 is Jesus coming into Jerusalem. Here is the flesh and blood Savior coming to Jerusalem. That's Advent 1. Advent 2 is also about coming. It's Advent. But stir up our hearts of the Lord to make ready the way of thine only begotten Son. What coming? So that by his coming, this coming, is the second coming. Advent 2 is from Luke 21. So, Strodok tells us, Daughter of Zion, behold, thy salvation cometh to the church, waiting, expecting, comes the announcement of the coming of her Lord. Things like, behold, the bridegroom cometh. What gladness of heart there will be at that everlasting union with her salvation. The second Sunday in Advent completes the teaching of the first. So one follows the other. Then the teaching of the day centered in our Lord's first coming as Advent in the flesh in humility. Him, him coming riding on a lowly donkey. That's what the first Sunday was about. Then today, the second coming, or the second Sunday in Advent, it tells of his second coming, his advent to judgment, his coming in glory to inaugurate his eternal kingdom and rule. And so he says this completes the cycle of his comings. It also completes the cycle of redemption. 
Uh, so humility and glory, those together. These coming as are described in the Gospels of this and the preceding Lord's Day. And the purpose of the church in thus presenting these events and emphasizing them so strongly in this commanding and logical position at the entering in of the Ecclesia is most earnest. The church's spirit, man, they're starting off right off the bat. His coming in humility to suffer and die, his second coming to judge the living and the dead and, and uh, uh, to give us eternal life. Wow. Uh, two Sundays, you already know the whole history here. And then we're going to keep moving forward. That is the kind of thing that uh, we need to pull out as, as, as we go forward. Comments, questions? Mark? Reading the, uh, the bishop's book about the common service, I thought it was interesting how um, you know, the first Lutherans coming to this country helped for their selection of uh, um, liturgical um, samples were the things they had to work with to make their, their liturgies. And they, they did a terrible job of putting things together. It's just awful. And then finally, after long struggles, we come up with the, commons, the, common, the common hymnal in 1888. You know, fantastic. Really, the, the pinnacle and long last. And it didn't take an entire decade before that had spread out and been changed and watered back down again. And reading about that kind of, come, kind of points out the inadequacies of this. This is horrible, really, compared to what we once had. And we didn't waste any time getting to this. So I think it's great that, that we're really, that Aldona is really addressing this problem and coming up with a real hymnal that really is as what a Lutheran hymnal should be. So if I said, uh, yeah, we're, we're going to throw away everything that came before. Each one of you can write a hymn. We'll have 40 hymns. I'll, I'll just write a liturgy just some Wednesday afternoon or something, and we'll see how it goes. Uh, and they kind of did that a time or two. Well, exactly. And so, how? I mean, how good do you think will it'll be? Good Shepherd actually did that and let the they let the teenagers do it after yeah. they had been to something. Uh-huh. Um, but if you and I got together and said, you know, we got a thousand years of God working in His church, we could probably do a whole lot better, couldn't we? Yeah. And I think that's what you illustrate the point. They tried, and yet even if the best, you have to look at this and kind of go, you know what? There's a reason that we God gave us these great gifts. And, and when they came up with the right one, they spent years working on it, and they went back as far as they could to dig up the things that the Lutheran Church had always held with value, and even before the Lutheran Church. And uh, and they had it right. And, of course, being, you know, being... Being the fallible humans we are, you know, the fallen people that we are, <coughs> we got erected almost right away. Well, the Germans did that too. Yeah, yeah. yeah everybody did that. There are some interesting things I might ask uh, Karen because she was preparing the, the, the choir with this. Um, yeah. This uh, particular arrangement, wording, and tunes is earlier than uh, the Lutheran hymnal. And then after that comes Lutheran worship. Um, this one has Savior of the Heathen Come. The Lutheran hymnal has Savior of the Nations Come. And so does Lutheran worship. Huh. All right, well, what does that mean? Maybe we need to take a look. You know, did this come from a scripture text? Where you may want to look back and say, so what's the you know point of this? Um, interesting enough, uh, Savior of the Heathen, this particular one, 
is made up of seven stanzas. Karin, how many are in TLH? Um, it happens to be hymn 95. I thought it was the other way. Um, there are seven. How many are there in Lutheran worship? There's eight. You, you always want to wonder when things are left out. Now you got one added in. Well, that's interesting. Um, I, and again, this is not right or wrong, but it's, it's something that you're going to take a look at and you're going to see. I want to see what it's, what it's teaching um, from that. So we'll, we'll go kind of back to the words. Um, Karen noticed that the tune, uh, this one was in... G? Um, well, that one is in G minor. G minor. Um, TLH is in G minor. But LW, don't ask me what key it's in because I haven't figured it out yet. But there's only one flat. But it's still the same tune. They just changed the accompaniment slightly. It might be a modal or something, which yeah. I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm to Tony's. Uh, uh, there's smoke coming out of his ears. He's ready for this. <laughs> um, anyway. It's beautiful, but it's not designed, the LW is not designed for four-part harmony, if that's your goal. But should that be, I mean, there's there's so much there. Should that be your goal? You know, when we're singing as a congregation, most of the time we're singing in unison because we are one voice, one faith. So there may have been a time when, you know, in our era, we're going to sing all the hymns in four-part harmony. There's a unity of God's people with the hymnity. You know, you, you ought to be singing together. It ought to be a, with one voice and all. Now, that all being said, she already illustrates something we can't get to. When uh, TLH, it's written in four parts. When you get to Lutheran worship, they intentionally wrote it in a way that it's not four parts. Everyone sings the melody. Yes. Okay, well, that did help in bringing things together. But when you now threw Mark Melvin from... <laughs> and said to him, you're going to sing the same melody as everybody else, it made the women sing low and the men sing high, and, well, I don't know. I mean, is that good? I, you know, Tony? I hear Rachel's voice. Yeah. <laughs> Rachel's anybody? working on that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. thank you, Rachel. <laughs> everybody needs, you know, yeah, some have louder voices, some have higher voices and low. You want to make them meld together. Mm -hmm. You want to make it sound like it's 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 a communion, a union. Tony? Yeah, yeah. I had a good discussion with some women. Again, it was up there in Kiwani. They had hymnals in four-part harmony. The men couldn't sing. They said, oh, well, those poor guys, you know, they, the men just don't sing anyhow, and so forth. So I said, okay, you sing Joy to the World with me and see what it does. Joy to the world. And we're, <laughs> they just looked at me. Never occurred to the, to any of them that at that time men were taught how to sing in four-part harmony. But our schools quit that. Yeah. So it didn't work. Rachel and then Pastor. Um, as someone who sings fairly high most of the time, I'll tell you that in LW, there's some I can't sing because they're so low that it, like, wears my voice out. And I know that sounds really weird, but when you have it designed for four-part harmony, it gives you a chance. Usually, if it's too high for you, you can sing an octave down. But even then, it gives you a chance to learn to sing harmony if you start to just kind of listen. Pastor? 
Well, I think it's interesting. When, when, when you sing in symphony, which is what it talks about in the Old Testament, singing in symphony to the Lord, what does that mean? What is symphony? Sing, singing in harmony to the Lord. Is four part wrong? No. No. If four parts done well, it sounds good. If one part's not done well, it doesn't sound good. If four parts not done well, it doesn't sound good. Is our music ever going to sound really, really good? No. Probably not because yeah. of people singing. <laughs> and so we're not all alike, but um, they blend together. All right, I'm out of time. That gives us an introduction to just the hymn. You will see, beginning with Advent 1, so not until the end of November, will you start to see me produce um, these that, that have that in it. Uh, the choir is going to start working on uh, some of these things. Um, the propers that we'll use will, will be out of that as well, but that will start at the end of November. Uh, next Sunday, I'll go back and we'll uh, continue our historical run-through. I think we're going to start getting into, already we've talked about, well, how does this happen? Well, as you're going to see what happens within the uh, history of the church bodies, you'll also see that that, uh, that they're doing things with their worship. And, and we'll look at that. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have sent us your Son, and you have saved us and provided for us uh, all that we need uh, in this life. And this morning we know that as you provide for us a kingdom and, and righteousness, that you will provide for us all things. We ask, dear Lord, uh, that you would continue to lead us away from worry, uh, that we might receive and, and rejoice in your gifts in our songs. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.